0: We're going to begin this morning with a reading from Scripture. We're actually going to read a lot for this morning, which I think is a good thing. We could just read, read the whole time. We'll do more reading than me talking. That's right. So, I'm going to start with Lisa. She's going to read starting in Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Your mic's to your right. 1 through 39.
1: Now Adonai spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month will mark the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one lamb for the household. But if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor are to take one according to the number of people. According to each person eating, you are to make count for the lamb. Your lamb is to be without blemish, a year-old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You must watch over it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to slaughter it at twilight. They are to take the blood and put it on the two doorposts on the crossbeam of the houses where they will eat it. They are to eat the meat that night roasted over a fire with matzot and bitter herbs there to eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled with water but only roasted with fire, its head and with its legs and its innards. So let nothing of it remain until the morning. Whatever remains until the morning, you are to burn with fire. Also, you are to eat it this way, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in haste. It is the Adonai's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. I am Adonai. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. So there will be no plague among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day is to be a memorial for you. You are to keep it as a feast to Adonai. Throughout your generations, you are to keep it as an eternal ordinance. For seven days, you are to eat matzot. But on the first day, you must remove the chametz from your houses. For whoever eats chametz from the first day until the seventh day, that soul will be cut off from Israel. The first day is to be a holy assembly for you, as well as the seventh day. No manner of work is to be done on those days, except that which is to be eaten by every person. That alone may be prepared by you. So, you are to observe the Feast of Matzot, for on this very same day I have brought your ranks out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you are to observe this day throughout your generations as an eternal ordinance. During the first month in the evening of the 14th day of the month, you are to eat Matzot until the evening of the 21st day of the month. For seven days no hametz is to be found in your houses. For whoever eats hametz, that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is an outsider or one who is born in the land. You are to eat no hametz in all of your houses. You are to eat matzah. Then Moses called for the elders of Israel and said to them, Go, select lambs for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. You are to take a bundle of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, apply it to the crossbeam and the two doorposts, with the blood from the basin. None of you may go out the door of his house until morning. Adonai will pass through to strike down the Egyptians, but when he sees the blood on the crossbeam, the two doorposts, Adonai will pass over that door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you down. Also, you are to observe this event as an eternal ordinance for you and your children." When you come into the land which Adonai has given you, as he promised, you are to keep this ceremony. Now, when it happens that your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? You are to say, it is the sacrifice of Adonai's Passover, because he passed over the houses of Bnei Israel in Egypt, when he struck down the Egyptians, but spared our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then B'nai Israel went and did it. They did just as Adonai had commanded Moses and Aaron. And so it came about at at midnight that Adonai struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh sitting on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn cattle. Then Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a household where someone was not dead." And so he called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, Rise up, go out from my people, both you and Bnei Israel, go. Serve Adonai as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone. But bless me too. Now the Egyptians urged the people, sending them out of the land quickly, for they thought, We will all be dead. And so the people took their dough before it was leavened, with their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulder. And so Bnei Israel acted according to the word of Moses. They asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. Adonai gave the people favor in the eyes of the Egyptians and let them have what they asked for. And so they plundered the Egyptians. Then Bnei Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkot, about 600,000 men on foot as well as children. Also a mixed multitude went up with them along with the flocks, herds, and heavy, heavy livestock. They had baked matzah cakes from the dough that they brought out of Egypt. It had no hametz, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not delay, so they had not made provisions for themselves.
0: Thank you. That reminded me of one more announcement. Um, We got to get the hametz out of this place today. So, if you're sticking around for Oneg, it's all got to go. So, or the... Karen's cleaning out the fridges on Tuesday, so that's good for the fridges, but if we, anything in the cupboards, any food that gets brought, it's got to get out of here, so get all the hamets out, and the same for your houses, too. You got, you got a few more days for your houses, but we're not here every day of the week, so we're gonna, we got to get those out today. So I had Lisa read the story of Passover, of the, the first Passover there in Egypt, and, uh, we noted last year, last week, that uh, this is the beginning of the biblical new year. This is the time of the year when Israel was rescued from slavery from Egypt. God brought them out, telling them that this shall be the first month of the year for you. And that was in Exodus twelve two, which Lisa just read. And then in the following verse, the Lord said to Moses, said that uh, um, to A- Moses and Aaron, he said, "Tell the congregation." That on the 10th day of the month, each man is to take a lamb or a goat for his family, one for each household. And so, today is the 10th day of the month. So, have you guys got your lamb or your goat ready? Is it in your house? Living in your house? No. <laughs> no. Uh, this, is, uh, this coming Wednesday is the, is the Wednesday evening that we will gather in our homes across the area to recall that Passover story. We're going to eat the elements of Passover. We're going to rejoice in God's salvation together. And that's going to be a really wonderful time. But Passover didn't start that night in Egypt. The the story of Passover is much bigger than, than that. And today's message is a message of preparation of our hearts for Passover by looking at the bigger picture. So we're going to step back. We're going to look at the broader arc of Scripture today as it relates to Passover, or with an emphasis on the work of God on our behalf. So, to go to the beginning of Passover, we got to go to the beginning of Scripture. I'm going to invite Vicki to come up here to read from Genesis chapter 2, because in Genesis, God created man and woman placed them in the garden. So, Vicki, she's going to read from Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15. And then chapter 3.
2: Then Adonai Elohim took the man and gave him rest in the garden of Eden in order to cultivate and watch over it. Then Adonai Elohim commanded the man, saying, From all the trees of the garden you are most welcome to eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you must not eat, for when you eat from it you most assuredly will die but the serpent was shrewder than any animal of the field that Adonai Elohim made. So it said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from all the trees of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, of the fruit of the trees we may eat, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat of it, and you must not touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You most assuredly won't die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a thing of lust for the eyes, and that the tree was desirable for imparting wisdom. So she took of its fruit, and she ate. She also gave to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of Adonai Elohim going to and fro in the garden in the wind of the day. So the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Adonai Elohim in the midst of the tree of the garden. Then Adonai Elohim called to the man, and he said to him, Where are you? Then he said, Your sound, I heard it in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I am naked, I hid myself. Then he said, Who told you that you are naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. Adonai Elohim said to the woman, What did you do? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Adonai Elohim said to the serpent, because you did this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above every animal of the field. On your belly will you go and dust will you eat all the days of your life. I will put animosity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head and you will crush his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pain from conception to labor In pain will you give birth to children. Your desire will be toward your husband, yet he must rule over you. Then to the man he said, because you listened to your wife's voice and ate of the tree which I commanded you, saying you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. With pain will you eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles will sprout for you. You will eat the plants of the field, By the sweat of your brow will you eat food, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust will you return. Now Adam named his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. Adonai Elohim made Adam and his wife tunics of skin, and he clothed them. Then Adonai Elohim said, Behold, the man has become like one of us knowing good and evil. So now, in case he stretches out his hand and takes also from the tree of life and eats and lives forever, Adonai Elohim sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And he expelled the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he have Cherovin dwell along with the whirling sword of flame to guard the way to the tree of life.
0: So God created man and woman to walk together with him, to walk in perfect harmony. He, he created Adam to be in perfect relationship with him and with each other. And he gave them that freedom to choose their own path. They, they were not robots. And they were given that chance to choose. And when they were given a chance to listen to a deceptive voice, they chose to do so. And Thus, they broke that perfect relationship with God and with each other, and so they instinctively hid. They hid from God because they were afraid. They they made coverings for themselves because they were ashamed to let each other see themselves. And when God found them, they played the blame game. They even blamed God. You gave me the woman, God. It's your fault. And In God's response, he laid out, he began to lay out a plan for ultimate redemption of that first sin. But it wasn't just for that first sin, but it was for all of sin, all time, that he began to lay out that plan. And and he promised that the seed of the woman would crush the head of a serpent, Satan. And he told the man that he would now die and return to the dust. And he banished them from the garden, which was, a really, which was a hidden mercy because man living eternally in sin would be a far greater curse than man living temporarily in sin. That would be a far greater curse. So that was a hidden mercy. And then God caused the first substitutionary death by killing an animal to make tunics of skin for the woman and the man. And in this way, he covered up some of the shame of their sin but that wasn't the only sin that ever happened. We know that. <laughs> the fall of mankind, it descended into utter depravity. And we get to a few chapters later, this is not just a few days later, but many, many years later, Genesis chapter 6, it says, starting in verse 5, Then Adonai saw the wickedness of humankind that was great on the, was great on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil all the time. Oftentimes when I'm speaking with people and uh, they're saying, this always happens or they do that every time or whatever, I'm like, don't say always, don't say never, don't say every, you know, it's not true. But I believe it when the Bible says every inclination of their thoughts, of their heart, was only evil all the time. I believe scripture says that the world was in utter depravity. So Adonai regretted that he had made humankind on the earth and his heart was deeply pained. So Adonai said, I will wipe out humankind whom I have created from the face of the ground, from human, humankind to livestock, crawling things and flying creatures of the sky because I regret that I made them. But Noah found favor in Adonai's eyes. So God was merciful in his judgment, and he put a momentary end to that incredible sin that was on the world. And, and God used Noah to preserve mankind and, and some of each of the animals. He didn't redeem the earth at that time, but he did put a temporary end to the wickedness that was there that had spread. And then if we were to read after the flood, we would read that God made an, a covenant again. And uh, and which, at that covenant, there was a sacrifice, a sacrificial death. And, and that was with Noah. And he told Noah then to repopulate the earth. And then we see Noah's descendants. If we go into Genesis chapter 12, he chose Abraham to continue his plan of redemption. And in chapter 12, he calls him, before he changed his name from Abraham, Abram to Abraham. Then Adonai said to Abram, Get going out of your land and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land I will show you. My heart's desire is to make you into a great nation to bless you, to make your name great so that you may be a blessing. My desire is to bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then later, also to Abram in chapter 15, starting in verse 1, he says, After these things, the word of Adonai came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, My Lord Adonai, what will you give me, since I am living without children, and the heir of my household is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you've given me no seed, so a houseborn servant is my heir. Then Behold, the word of Adonai came to him, saying, This one will not be your heir, but in fact, one who will come from your own body will be your heir. He He took him outside and said, Look up now at the sky. Count the stars, if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your seed be. Then Abram believed in Adonai, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. So God promised to make a great nation out of Abraham. That nation would become, that would be the people of Israel, the Jewish people. And he promised also, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And again, at this time, we didn't read it, but God cut a covenant with Abraham that required a sacrificial death. And he would again go on to renew that covenant with Abram's sons, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And then, through Jacob's children, specifically through Joseph, God provided another picture. He provided a picture of salvation through Joseph, who was kind of essentially killed by his brothers. They didn't literally kill him, but they wanted to, and they sent him off to Egypt, and they assumed he was dead. They told his dad he was dead by his own brothers. But later... Of course, we know that Joseph was elevated from slavery to second-in-command in Egypt, and he saved his family and the nation, the developing nation. He saved them from famine that affected the entire world. So he was a picture of Yeshua, a picture of that salvation that was to come. And that leads us now to Moses and to Passover. So I'm going to invite Brian to come forward. And uh, he's not going to reread what Lisa read. He's actually going to share with us from a summary that Stephen gave us in Acts chapter 7. So I'm going to ask Brian to read Acts chapter 7, verses 17 through 37.
3: These are the words that Stephen spoke and he died for. As the time drew near for the fulfillment of the promise God had made to Avron. The number of our people in Egypt increased greatly until there arose another king over Egypt who had no knowledge of Yosef. With cruel cunning, this man forced our fathers to put their newborn babies outside their homes so that they would not survive. It was then that Moshe was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. For three months he was reared in his father's house, and when he was put out of his home, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own as her own son. So Meshe was trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and became both a powerful speaker and a man of action. But when he was 40 years old the thought came to him to visit his brothers the people of Israel. On seeing one of them being mistreated he went to his defense and took revenge by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed his brothers would understand that God was using him to rescue them, but they didn't understand. When he appeared the next day as they were fighting and tried to make peace between them by saying, men, you are brothers, why do you want to hurt each other? The one who was mistreating his fellow pushed Moshe away and said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me the way you killed that Egyptian yesterday? On hearing this, Moshe fled the country and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. After forty more years, an angel appeared to him in the desert near Mount Sinai in the flames of a burning bush. When Moshe saw this, he was amazed at the sight. And as he approached to get a better look, there came the voice of Adonai I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham yitzhak and yaakov but moshe trembled with fear and didn't dare look and i said to him take off your sandals because the place where you are standing is holy ground i have clearly seen how my people are being oppressed in egypt i've heard their cry and i've come down to rescue them and now i will send you to egypt This Moshe, whom they rejected, saying, "'Who made you a ruler and a judge?' is the very one whom God sent as both ruler and ransomer by means of the angel that appeared to him in the thorn bush. This man led them out, performing miracles and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for forty years. This is the Moshe who said to the people of Israel, "'God will raise up a prophet like me from among your brothers.'" So we
0: read there that when Moses was born, the adversary knew something was going on. Again, trying to, he, he figured out something was going on there, and he was trying to stop this redemptive plan of Adonai that would continue through Moses. But he wanted to stop it before it happened, so he, through Pharaoh, tried to kill all the baby boys in the land. And yet, we know that God's plans are never thwarted, so God used Moses, he rescued Moses even then, bringing him up literally in the house of Pharaoh, and, uh, and he used Moses, and God said God would raise up a prophet like Moses, and so we have this, this promise that he's given, and we know that at the end of Deuteronomy, when Ezra it, that he said there has never been a prophet like Moses to this day, at that time. But in between there, we continued to follow that promise. We would we would see Israel rebelling throughout the centuries, and Israel, even though they were unfaithful to the covenant, God was still faithful to His covenant and to His promise. And He reminded of it, Him of their redemption. He sent them judges. He sent them prophets, especially those who were like Isaiah in his servant. And he wrote many things, such as the servant songs, and uh, like Isaiah chapter 53. And then we read later, and we know, and uh, through the testimony of Stephen as well, that that, uh, Brian was just reading, that they killed the prophets that he sent. And even though they did, even though they killed the prophets, They were sacrificing to false gods, worshiping those false idols. He did send them into exile, but he brought them back and he remained faithful to his promised redemption. And that redemption being that he would, that ultimate plan when he would crush the head of the serpent that he promised in Genesis when we read that. So the Redeemer would come. He was telling us the Redeemer would come. But that Redeemer wasn't going to come in the form of a mighty warrior, but he would come born of a virgin, meaning in the form of a baby. So in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, we read, now the birth of Yeshua, the Messiah, happened this way. When his mother Miriam was engaged to Joseph, but before they came together, she found out she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, made up his mind to dismiss her secretly. But while they considered these things, behold, an angel of Adonai appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take him as your wife, for the ch- child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua, salvation, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by Adonai through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then Luke chapter 1, if you go to the book of Luke, starting in verse 26, so that was when he spoke to Joseph. This is uh, the angel visiting Miriam in Luke chapter 26. Then in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by Adonai into a town into the Galilee named Nazareth and to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Miriam, and coming to her, the angel said, Shalom, favored one, Adonai is with you. But at the message, she was perplexed and kept wondering what kind of greeting this might be. The angel spoke to her, Do not be afraid, Miriam, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and you shall call him Yeshua. He will be great and will be called ben Elion. Adonai Elohim will give him the throne of David, his father. He shall reign over the house of Jacob for all eternity, and his kingdom will be without end. So there's the promise given both to Joseph and to Miriam. To Mary through the baby, through Yeshua coming. But again, the adversary tried to stop it by having the babies killed again, this time through Herod. But again, God's promises are not thwarted. Yeshua grew. The the family escaped to Egypt and then came back, and he grew and came into his ministry. And I'm going to invite William to come up and tell us a little bit about coming into his ministry. He's going to read to us from the book of John. Chapter one, so if you want to go to the book of John and read with us as William reads to us, John one, one through 34.
4: In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him, but as many received as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received the grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Yeshua HaMashiach. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Now this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask for him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose." These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who has taken away the sin of the world, this is he of whom I I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel before I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God.
0: So John, the apostle, not the apostle, I'm sorry, the baptizer, he uh, testified that he himself was not the prophet, the one that Moses had said, there should be a prophet like me to come. And that's what the leaders of the day were asking him, are you that the one that we should expect? They were expecting him to come. But John said that the one coming after him, Yeshua, Jesus was the light of the world, the one that would fulfill the promise of being a prophet like Moses, the one that would crush the head of the serpent. Yet, the adversary, he was, you know, he wasn't able to kill Yeshua as a baby, but I think that he was thinking he still might gain victory if only he could first kill Yeshua, perhaps through Yeshua's own people. And so, as Yeshua's ministry grew more and more, the momentum to kill him grew in the leader's, of the temple. And they infiltrated Yeshua's inner circle through the man of Judas Iscariot. And so I'm going to have Karen come up here and read from the book of Luke chapter 22 and tell us more about that.
5: This is Luke 22, New Kings James Version. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called Passover, and the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed, and he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the... Passover with my disciples. Then he will show you a large furnished upper room there make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them with fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer for I say to you I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you Let him be as the younger and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not the one, is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And the, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren, <coughs> excuse me. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times. And he said to them, When I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. Then he said to them, But now he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Look, look, there are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, And he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered him and said, permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them and a certain servant girl seeing him as he sat by the fire looked intently at him and said this man was also with him but he denied him saying woman I do not know him and after a little while another saw him and said you are also of them but Peter said man I am not. Then after about an hour he had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him, and having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him into their council, saying, if you are the Christ, tell us, But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe, and if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they all said, Are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, You rightly say that I am. And they said, What further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth.
0: I'm going to continue reading. Aline, can you come up and read for us from Luke 23?
6: Then the whole multitude of of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, the king. Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered them, him and said, It is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowd, I found no fault in this man, but they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean, and as soon as he knew that he had belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired a long time to see him, because he had heard so many things about him, and he had hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, and he, but he answered him nothing. Then, and the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod, with, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for, they, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. Then Pilate, when he had, been, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said, he said to them, You have brought this man to me, one who is misled one who misleads the people, and indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things which he, he accused him. So, no, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed, nothing <clears throat> he did nothing deserving him of death, and I will therefore chastise him and release him for it was necessary for him to release one uh, to them at the feast. Then they all cried out to him, saying, Away with this man, and release to us Barnabas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate, therefore wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them, saying, "But But they shouted, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, "What? "'Why, what evil has he done? "'I have found no reason for, to death for him. So, "'I will therefore chastise him and let him go.' But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of the men and the chief, chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave the sentence as it should, that it should be as they requested, and he released to them the one that they requested who for rebellion and for murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus into their will. Now as they, had led, now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus.' And a mul- great multitude of people followed him, and the women who also mourned and r- r- lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed, the days are coming in when they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs who ne- that never bore and breasts that never nursed. And then they will say to the mountains, Follow on us And to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what shall be done to in the dry? There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Then they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people looking, stood looking on. But even the rulers with him sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is this Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, saying, coming, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And in then inscription was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, "If you are the Christ, save yourself and us." But the other answered him, rebu- rebuked him, saying, "Do you not do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same con- condemn- con- condemnation? And we we indeed and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong." Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour. There was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. And then the sun was darkened and the veil of of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had, had cried out in a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God saying, certainly this was the righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that side, seeing what had happened, what had been done, they beat their breasts and returned. But all his acquaintances and the men who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching those these things. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member and a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision Indeed, He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. Then this man went to Pilate and asked him for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of rock, and where no one had ever lain before. So that was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath drew near.
0: Thank you, Elaine. So for a few days, this is where the story pauses. There is a Yeshua, the Messiah, our Messiah, Jesus, the perfect lamb, the lamb of God, and he'd been sacrificed, and he fulfilled all that God required, and the adversary thinks he's won when he doesn't realize that his head is being crushed at that time. <clears throat> he doesn't know the end of the story. The adversary does not know in the midst of it. But in the midst of it too, the disciples, they didn't know either. And they're confused. They're stricken with grief at this time. They had this hope in the Messiah who was going to come and, and overthrow the Roman oppression. And that was Shattered their Messiah had been executed, and some of them scattered, and some of them went back to their work that they had been doing prior to following Yeshua, because they did not understand the words that Yeshua spoke about his resurrection that was to come. So as we sit in this this moment, I want us to listen to a song that Jonathan Hopkins and Laura are going to play and sing for us. Called God Rested.
7: So they took his body down. The man who said he was the resurrection and the life Was lifeless on the ground now The sky was red as blood along the blade of night As the Sabbath fell they shrouded him in linen They dressed him like a womb the rich man and the women they laid him in the tomb. Six days shall you labor, the seventh is the Lord. In six he made the earth and all the heavens, but he rested on the seventh. God rested. He said that it was finished in the seventh day. He blessed it. God rested. So they laid their hopes away. They buried all their dreams about the kingdom he proclaimed, and they sealed them in the grave. As a holy silence fell on all Jerusalem. But the Pharisees were restless, and Pilate had no peace, and Peter's heart was reckless, and Mary couldn't sleep. But God arrested. Six days shall you labor. The seventh is the Lord's. In six he made the earth and all the heavens. But he rested on the seventh. God rested. He worked till it was finished. In the seventh day he blessed it. He said that it was good. In the seventh day he blessed it, God rested. The sun went down, the Sabbath faded. Holy day was done, and all creation waited.
0: So, when we come together this Wednesday for Passover, wherever you're at. It's okay to sit in the soberness of the reality of our Messiah's death for a while. In fact, Solomon, he spoke in his wisdom in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, he said, Better is a good reputation than precious oil in the day of death than the day of birth. Better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting since that is the end of all mankind, and the living shall take it to heart. Grief is better than laughter, for though the face is sad, the heart may be glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It's okay to, to sit in that state. Now, we sit there for a little while, because it's, it's where we should have that soberness of the reality of what Yeshua did for us. Now, we won't remain in that state for long, okay, because we know the rest of the story. And the rest of the story is the most important cause for celebration and changed lives in the history of the world. The rest of the story is. So, to give a hint for that, I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and this is where I'm going to close. First 1 Corinthians 15. I want to take our, rede- our story of redemption of the ark back to Adam, but this is, is told by the Apostle Paul. Starting in verse 45, he says, so it is written, so it also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam, he's referring to Yeshua here, The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the, the spiritual is not the first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is of the earth, made of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the one made of dust, so also are those made of dust. And like the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have been born the image of the one made of dust, so also we bear the image of the one from heaven." Now I say this, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. What decays cannot inherit what does not decay. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last shofar, for the sound, the shofar will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed." for this incorruptible must put on incorruptibility, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this incorruptible will put on incorruptibility, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is, in, is the Torah. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. Therefore, my dearly beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Our labor in the Lord is not in vain. We know the end of the story. We know that Yeshua crushed the head of the serpent, that he achieved victory over death in his resurrection. And we're going to celebrate the resurrection next Saturday evening. We're going to sit in mourning, but then we're going to celebrate the resurrection because we know that victory. Now we know that it's not complete. It's not final. Yeshua did achieve victory over death, but death still exists in the world. There will come a time when even death does not exist in the world, when even death does not exist. When he returns, we know that he will achieve final, complete, and total victory. So we've covered the, the, the story arc of Scripture. We've gone from Passover back to the beginning, all the way through God's redemptive plan of which Passover is a part of it. But I want to tell you guys that it is not enough for you to sit here and understand that story arc of Scripture. You have to know, we have to know deep within our hearts, Deep within our soul, that it is our own sin, your own sin, my own sin, the same as Adam's that Yeshua came to redeem. And it's our own sin that held Yeshua to the stake. It's our own sin that held Yeshua to the stake. Now, the important thing is that even though our sin held Yeshua to the stake, we know that his blood is sufficient to redeem each one of us. And it's not just temporarily, but it's for eternity. And that's what you have to know. And that's what you have to believe. And if you don't know that and you haven't believed that, then we, we need to talk today. And this is a perfect time. So before we have the Kiddush today, though, I'm going to ask Amber. She's got a special dance that really goes along with this message today. It's called the Song of the Lamb. And so she's got a couple of young ladies that are going to help her. Do you have the music cued with them? Okay. All right. Thank you.
8: So sometimes I hear a song and I get choreography for it and then I wait because I know it but it's not one that we do for worship it's different and I wait for the right opportunity to to share it and I choreographed this one a little while ago and now feels like the right time to do it it's called the Song of the Lamb It's by a group called Harvest. Never heard this song before. It just showed up on my Spotify one day, and I was like, okay, we'll listen to it. But I really want you guys to feel this one. Philip was just saying that, you know, we have to know deep inside. And I, I want you to listen to the words. It's very slow. You can hear them. And I want you to feel them if you can. And... You can close your eyes and ignore the dance if you want to, Um, or you can watch, and I hope that our dance will help you to feel it deep inside as we go into the last days of preparation, preparing for this uh, feast.
9: I
0: appreciate Amber you choreographing that because I really do think that uh, especially the words of that song were very meaningful in the sense of bringing us back to understanding the that the lamb is worthy you know we we've sang worship songs today beforehand before my message we we've, we've went through the story arc of scripture understanding the sacrifice of the lamb and the need for that and that promised redemption and he is worthy He is the one that we can sing to, and he's also the one that gives us Shabbat, and that's why we have the Kiddush, because on it, he rested, on the seventh day he rested, he labored for six days in creation, and he rested on the seventh, so I'm going to invite you to come and and grab a piece of bread and a cup of juice as we say the Shabbat Kiddush blessings together.